what policies, what programs and so on, what initiatives can be provided or are available for me in order to be happy in life and so on. And inadvertently, the lack of the resources or programs or initiatives is then therefore the reason why I may not be as happy or as rich or as beautiful and so on and so forth. Now, this is not to say that programs, you know, initiatives, social policies are not good. They're very good, beneficial, sometimes even essential. But I feel that there is an over-reliance on that. And then people forget that actually your life is on you and on you only. You must be some kind of therapist. I am some kind of therapist. And I'm about to take you on a journey through the inner wilderness. I've invited brilliant guests from all walks of life to join me as we investigate, illuminate, and inspire transformation in ourselves, intimate relationships, and the social ecosystems we are constellated in. What you are about to hear may surprise you, so hang on to your earbuds for a hefty dose of sanity in a chaotic world. I am Stephanie Wynn, a licensed marriage and family therapist branching out and building bridges between psychology and everything else under the sun. It's my honor to have you along for the ride. Let's get started. Today, my guest is Ada Akpala. Uh, She is a writer and the founder of the Different Voice Initiative, which you can find on YouTube, as well as the host of the Challenging Narratives podcast. She is here to bring a different voice, offering social and cultural commentary with her unique background and perspectives. I'm excited to welcome you today. Thanks for being here, Ada. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, I can't wait to see what we're going to unpack um, in this conversation. I'm genuinely excited. Me too. So... You are here to challenge narratives and bring a different voice. Before we started recording, uh, we were talking about the value of viewpoint diversity and not even necessarily a commitment to having the right answer, but a commitment to exploring and bringing different perspectives to the table. Um, you also said that that your own opinions continue to grow and evolve, and you express this really kind of open attitude to learning from discourse. Um, I know we share some concerns about how kind of polarized things get and how rigid people can get in their opinions. How did you come to this work? Yeah, so I've always had that uh, mentality, you know, that there are, you know, there's 7 billion people in the world at the moment, you know, billions of people that have existed before us. And what I find or what I found is that was that there wasn't much celebration or appreciation of the fact of how different we are, you know, differences in our belief systems, in our values, in our likes and our dislikes and everything else that goes into the making up of a human being. So I, like you said, I'm here with the Different Voice Initiative because it's not so much as being you know, the right voice or having the right opinion or having the right answers. You know, I always say to, you know, you know, those who follow me, those who are connected with me, I'm not here to answer anyone's um, questions. I'm here to explore. There are big questions, big questions about race, big questions about identity, you know, history, historical events. I want to explore them. I want to go to areas that are controversial to you know, to to tackle and so on and so forth. So it's not about being the right voice for me. It's about being a different voice, a different voice, especially to the mainstream media, because I feel at the moment that the mainstream media is sort of, you know, <laughs> doing this attack, you know, or um, involving themselves in, in, in this kind of, you know, um, agenda movement I don't know what you call it against our culture against you know things that have been you know the standard or the accepted reality for a very long time you know and I don't like a lot of the ideas and the ideology that they're spewing especially in relation to quote-unquote the black identity 
um, race relations, you know, how things really are. I, I, I basically don't buy into it. So that's, that's why I said, you know, I will create this space um, for challenging narratives, but also um, when I say challenging, I mean challenging, obviously the narratives, but also challenging one another in a respectful way and challenging ourselves, our own belief systems that we've held for so long. So for example, you know, you're a racialized, let's say black person, and you have a certain idea of how the world is based on your own personal experiences. I don't discount discount people's personal experiences, but maybe based on doctrine, social doctrine, social and cultural doctrine, maybe based on false ideas that have been passed down to you by, you know, your parents or family members that maybe had, you know, reasons. You know, I'm not here to say that these things are absurd. There, there are reasons why people think why they think. However, when you encounter, you know, a difference, you know, in how someone sees or views reality, especially in relation to this common identity that you have, it's all about being open to hear, to listen, or at least to understand, right? And I feel that not much of that is happening right now. And that's the void I hope to contribute to um to to close because I know a lot of people are also doing this work, which is really great to see. I'd imagine your own life experiences have given you a unique perspective. You uh, were born and raised in Nigeria, and then you moved to the UK in two thousand. So, what was that cultural shift like for you? So the, that's one of the main reasons that my mentality is sort of built the way it is, because Nigeria is definitely more individualistic um, than it is here. There isn't this thing of group identity politics anyway, though it is a tribal nation and we do have our tribes and there are groups, but there isn't this play on identity politics to try and pit one group against the other or um, say that one group is responsible for another group's sort of misfortune, especially with, the, you know, I, I haven't lived there for a long time and, you know, I've, I've been there sporadically. But the main difference I saw is, especially in the governmental style. So in, I wouldn't say the West, but definitely in the UK and, you know, watching over here, I see happening in you in the US. There seems to be this reliance you know, on what the government can do for me. What can the government do for me to be able to raise my children well? What can the government do for me so that I can be able to be happy at work? And so even happy at home, what policies, what programs and so on, what initiatives can be provided or are available for me in order to be happy in life and so on. And inadvertently the lack of the resources or programs or initiatives is then therefore the reason why I may not be as happy or as rich or as beautiful and so on and so forth. Now this is not to say that programs you know initiatives social policies are not good they're very good beneficial sometimes even essential but I feel that there is an over-reliance on that and then people forget that actually your life is on you and on you only, you know, of course, everyone has, you know, traumatic experiences. There are reasons, you know, or people or things that where we can put blame of why maybe our personality is not the way it is, or our character is not the way it is, or our physical circumstances are not the way they are. However, what I saw in Nigeria is that there was a more, there was more emphasis on self-responsibility, self-ownership. When, when we say self-responsibility, it doesn't mean fault. Responsibility is not synonymous with fault, you know, and, and people feel that, well, if I'm taking responsibility for this, then I'm, I'm dissolving the other, whatever that other is, a situation, a past trauma or, or a person, I'm, I'm, I'm absorbing them from, from guilt. Your, for me, I feel that life is so precious and yet so short. And we spend so much of that time on that 
this is why I'm not. And there's little time or there's less time on this is why I can be. This is what could be if I, you know, there's so much self-empowerment in that. And I see that happening more in the culture of Nigeria. Not to say that we don't have our problems. We have a lot. (laughs) But that is one thing I appreciate. That is one of the best things, you know, um, I gained from that culture. And, you know, we we see it. We love data nowadays, right, in, in our culture. But we see this reflected in the date on the data we see this reflected in the stats right nigerians um nigerian women um men we we dominate when it comes to the socioeconomic ladder right in terms of um, employment um entrepreneurship and so on and so forth yeah yeah so you know it's frustrating for me and it's frustrating for i guess some people that encounter me that feel that I'm some kind of, you know, betrayal um, to my identity or a denier of who I really am. And that in itself is an insult to me because the only person that can know who I am is myself and not any socially constructed, you know, um, label um, carrying in itself its own ideological and political ideas or or, um, elements in it. But yes, um, I, you know... The thing is, so, you know, I kind of rolled my eyes when you mentioned self-responsibility being a white thing because it reminded me of um, something I was reading or watching. It was a while ago, so I can't fully remember who it was um, that was giving this talk or, or um, lecture. But it was about, you know, the five Ps that are apparently white supremacists well not even white supremacist traits but just white traits you know just white standards and it was things like you know promptness and being prepared and like you mentioned punctual which was one of them and you know I was just thinking what do these people think you know I know there's a lot of false ideas of how Africa is but we have these same standards. You will find these st- same standards wherever you go. That of professionalism. I mean, we do have our own banks. We do have our own hospitals, you know. And yes, they need improvement like the ones in the UK, like the ones in the US, like the ones anywhere in the world. But there are certain standards, you know, in our, in, in academia, for example, just like anywhere else. And to kind of other us and make us seem like we are not expected or we are in we're in incapable of exhibiting these same you know behaviors and attitudes is exactly exactly what keeps many black people i where they are mentally and physically and i would say and i started saying this when i started this work 2 years ago and i will continue to say it it plays a bigger role it plays a bigger role than racism in disarming, you know, and disempowering, shall I say, many, especially young black people. You know, external racism, you know, this is the difference between myself, I guess. And I'm not trying to put myself in a separate category, but anyone who has, you know, let's say made something of their lives, we see the great black intellectuals and things like that. They see racism as an external barrier, like every other thing in life that they have to face. It's not this unbeatable or in, even inevitable, right? Because that's another idea that's being, that's being spewed to the black community, that it's inevitable that you will, re, you will face racism wherever you go. You know, blackness is synonymous to receiving racism. And that's not true especially in our global society now, you know, where we are seeing discrimination against many other groups. You know, we heard about the 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 situation with Asians being refused um, in, in some I, Ivy League um, schools on account of their race, or at least because they, they we wanted to allow other groups in, for example. We're seeing an assault even on on white people you know for the sake of diversity and inclusion and people are being explicitly told that you cannot be in this space right 
you you are not allowed in this space so especially in our day and age where i would say a lot of racism all around to have this idea that the racism that especially inter, interpersonal racism that black people face is, is this insurmountable barrier and challenge that they can't overcome i think it's disempowering and i don't think it's realistic anymore we're in a time um stephanie that with your mobile phone and internet you can become a millionaire tomorrow right so what is with this idea that for me to be exceptional for me to advance for me to be successful some system let's say let's use these these words let's use this lingual some system needs to change some admission of past wrong needs to change for me to be stable for me to be able to build a family it's not it's not realistic in a day and age that you can literally be an entrepreneur just with an idea you don't even need to raise the capital you know there's the the latest millionaire that i personally admire is Kabilane. I don't know if you've heard of him and he's a black Senegalese TikToker or Insta whatever social media creator and he's on the Forbes on the 30 list because he literally just the things he does is so simple and people don't care about his race his skin color his nationality whatever he makes them laugh in other words he's offering something that people want to buy to see generates him income and that's it however what i feel is that there's a like i mentioned earlier this over reliance of what can be done for me to do what i need to do is not it's not good it's not good for black individuals that buy into this narrative and it's not helpful or good for the community as a whole but saying that gets you all those labels that i mentioned earlier one of them being a self-hating black girl or you know a prop for for whiteness and it's not a prop for whiteness it's a prop for common sense things that have worked and things that have existed before let's say racism began right there's a basic formula there's a basic almost unchangeable route to success be resilient work hard find something that people want that are either willing to give you their time for or pay you money for. You know, this is this stands the test of time. That's why you find billionaires that are not all European whites, let's say, but ones that come from all over the world, regardless of their backgrounds or their circumstance. If we teach this more, history has been ugly. You know, let's not let's not mince words. History has been ugly. The present is ugly. Injustices continue to reign, unfortunately, right? But we can't pretend that these are, you know, um, rigid reasons why people can't do what they need to do for their own lives. It seems to me, if anything, that adversity fosters innovation. I'm thinking about what, very limited knowledge I have of Africa. Um, I think about, you know, like the the films I've seen about Africa. And there was one that was based on a true story. And, and you'll have to forgive me for not remembering the name of it or many of the details. <laughs> but it was basically yeah, sure. about like this kid from a really poor, small town in Africa who like pieced together the minimal resources he had access to to come up with a way of generating energy for the town. Um, and other anecdotal, you know, n- stories that I know of from Africa, like uh, they're, they're stories of kids who don't have access to education or they have to like walk 10 miles each way to get an education, but they value it so much. And maybe their library has a hundred books in it, but they read every single one of those books. And of course, mm-hmm. that's just, you know, a, a very small representation of a huge place. But, uh, but those are just a few examples of how throughout human history, Sometimes we we make more with less. And when our survival is really truly on the line, you know, the higher the stakes are, 
the less we indulge in, you know, sitting around feeling sorry for ourselves and the more it just kind of lights that fire to do something. So I'm curious about your experience. I don't know, like what part of Nigeria you grew up in, whether it was like small town or big city, what kind of um, access to education was there and how did people relate to the opportunities that they had? Yeah. So the first thing I will say is because you mentioned adversity brings that innovation. And I think that's that's true. And I would say further that adversity brings or is a good guarantee of success. Why? Because adversity builds character and you need characters to be successful. And when I'm talking about success, I don't mean rich. I mean, success as an a hu- as a whole individual you know, the five elements of of what makes a great life, which is which does include the financial aspect, but includes having a good community around you, your family, a good, stable family. It doesn't mean or necessarily mean the conventional um, family, even if you have one parent in that family, but it's to have stability instead of chaos and disorder, right? Having a good health, right? What's riches and money without having a good health, right? Um, Having a good mindset, having a healthy, I would say, soul, inner being, being content with who you are, right? You don't need to be the most great the greatest looking person but it's you having that confidence quiet confidence by the way in who you are and you know it's that is what I mean when I talk about success and adversity builds that because that's how you learn you know the most successful people I'm not preaching anything new are those who have been through hell and back those who have failed time and time again adversity inner and external adversity and being able to deal with that right you work in the therapy world and I feel that a lot of people you know that have that mental you know strength it's almost as if they're not able to handle themselves anymore and that's one of the reasons why they're easily swayed by all these narratives anyway and false ideas and all these ideological trends in the first place because there isn't that self um mastery anymore there isn't that willingness to do that right but in terms of where I grew up, I was actually very, very, and I am, I'm not, I was, it wasn't worse. I am very fortunate um, in terms of the, you know, my, the standard of living I had in Nigeria. Um, I always say, in fact, my standard of living in Nigeria was a little bit better because of that full community support. And, you know, there's surgeons and doctors and lawyers and teachers in, in my immediate family. So, you know, there was from, from you know, very young, I was always told about, you know, the importance of education, very, very well, if you know my culture, <laughs> the importance of education, you know, and um, the importance of working hard, the importance of not, there were no excuses, you know, it's very funny, because in Nigeria, I was actually one of the dumbest in my class, right? And there was no excuse. There was no late. I just didn't get the work. And there wasn't labeling on me. It was just, you're going to get the work or you're going. <laughs> there wasn't another option. And obviously, though that attitude and that spirit stayed in me, it was embedded in me that when I came to the UK, I was actually one of, sorry, the I was the smartest person in my class, you know, in, in many ways. And the school I went to, it was it was definitely more advanced that the, than the school I came to in the UK. Right. Very, very ironic. But so I've never had I've I've had adv- different kinds of adversity, but definitely not one of um, poverty or sheer poverty. Um you know, where there's no food to eat. There were differences in terms of being able to do things for yourself. So, for example, um, we would have like wells, like, well, I don't, you know, well, you wouldn't know, but we would have a well where we would need to go and get water and boil the water to have drinking water, just things like that. Even though we were very well off, there would be moments that your electric would just go because of how the you know energy system is in Nigeria and you would have to go out and you know have your generators and things like that so it was very 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 different 
um, to come in here where everything is, you know, easily accessible. And even if you're homeless or in poverty, you can still have like some gadgets around you. Whereas the poverty in some parts of Africa is, 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 is dire, right? So that was kind of the difference between there and here. Um, yeah. If you were to come to me as a client and tell me you were feeling grumpy, irritable, lethargic, stressed out, or unfocused, I'd want to do a thorough assessment of your lifestyle. And one of the first elements we'd look at is the quality and quantity of your sleep. You need at least a good seven hours of refreshing sleep every night in order to be your best self. There are many things that can get in the way of that. A demanding job, a new baby, or just plain bad habits, for example. But if you're having difficulty falling or staying asleep for the simple reason that you're too hot, you're too cold, or you and your partner don't agree on the temperature, look no further. I have just the thing for you. And since this is not therapy, but a podcast, I can actually sell you stuff. So I'm going to genuinely recommend that you check out the Pod Pro cover by 8sleep. It's the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. The cover can adjust the temperature on each side of the bed individually for you and your partner based on your sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature, reacting intelligently to create the optimal sleeping environment. Personally, I have mine set to run on autopilot so that my bed is warm when I get in, cool in the middle of the night, and warm again when it's time to wake up. I sleep very soundly this way. Improving your sleep is one of the best investments you can possibly make in your overall well-being, the quality of your work, and the lives of the people you touch. So go to 8sleep.com to check out the pod and use the code SOMETHERAPIST at checkout for up to $200 off your purchase. Even if they're already running another sale, this code will get you an additional $50 off. And to my listeners around the world, 8sleep currently ships not only within the USA, but also to Canada, the United Kingdom, select countries in the European Union, and Australia. All right, now back to the show. So let me straw man your position uh, from the devil's advocate, right? I, I can hear someone who's really bent on making everything suit their narrative. Take what you're saying and what I'm saying for that matter and turn it around and say, you just want to make life harder for black people. You're saying that adversity builds character. Therefore, uh, we shouldn't even try to eliminate problems for minorities. We shouldn't try to make systemic improvements. Now, I don't think that's what you're saying, <laughs> but I just want to represent well, that yeah, perspective. That's, <laughs> that's that's why it's it's good you, you said that because, you know, I do think that there are gaps you know um let's say in the system that needs um that always we, there's always needs for improvement they you know i i'm always a big believer that you should always look at the overall you know why for example does this group fare worse i don't actually i don't have a problem with that but the problem is the reasons that people give so for example there's income inequality between let's say south asians and white british and it's because of racism well no that's that's actually a lazy answer because the first thing culture exists you know race isn't real culture is right why don't we look at the real thing first which is that so for example what are the dynamics for in some south asian culture now, growing up in a, with a lot of South Asians because of a place I, because of where I lived in a town called Birmingham, I got to know their culture very well. And for example, the women, the women look after the children, you know, they stay home generally. I'm not saying that's everyone, but they do that. So that will have a ripple effect in the workforce with less women being there, for example, which will have an effect on the o overall income amount of each group right the white british culture doesn't have that idea it's a very individualistic you know women power feminist kind of thing so of course that will reflect in that as well but we don't look at that so that's where my issue lies system systemic um behaviors you know i feel that this is an easy cop-out to actually look at what's actually what could actually be a bigger issue you know over the past few weeks 
weeks, especially a month or so, there's been a lot of, you know, news headlines and stories. Well, there's an event, there's a festival in the UK, a music festival, music and arts festival called Glastonbury. And it's, I've been there once, actually, and it's, it's really great. But then this year became a, a thing of, well, why is it so white? <laughs> why is it so white? Why are there a lot of white people? And, you know, that gives the idea that there's some kind of a racial, you know, undertone or reason why perhaps many minorities are there. But if you go to, let's say, another kind of festival, like a reggae festival or anything like that, you will find that it's so, let's use the same word, so black or so brown. And yet we say that that is the culture, but then when it's predominantly white, we say then that is systemic and that's racism. We don't, I'm not saying that you don't look into that, but we don't even look, we don't even deviate slightly to, okay, maybe there are cultural differences Maybe the music taste, maybe the scene, maybe the fact that it's three days camping, maybe it could be anything. Maybe that's not suited rightly. It's okay to have different tastes, different preferences. It's fine. And I feel that there's this kind of forced, you know, um, diversifying or forced um, push to diversify things that is actually not so much needed because the people that you're trying to come here, come here, they maybe they don't, that's not their space. They want to do other things. I'm not saying that that's the case, but I'm saying we don't even want to ask that question because by you asking that question, especially if you're a white person, that's you being racist. What do you mean they don't want to come or want this space or whatever? But it's okay to ask these kinds of questions. So, I think we should tackle it from both sides. Look at what overarching systemic behaviours, attitudes, policies, which I doubt that there are policies, but definitely perhaps attitudes, behaviours, whatever, that you you know that could be addressed. But also look at other more real things. But if you look at that, then of course, you know, that's very damaging to the narrative of oppressor and oppressee and, and all these things, us versus them, so on. You talk about how precious life is and how how short it is. And we all have to make challenging decisions about what is most important to us to focus on and what, you know, how to make the best of our circumstances to have those things we value the most in life. And so I think about I think about this person, the devil's advocate, who's saying we we have to fight for justice, we have to you know, eradicate systemic inequalities, whatever that means to them. And and maybe we could look at the the research on that and come to different conclusions about what problems exist or what needs to be done about that. But I, I think for that person, for that person who finds that really important, I would want to say maybe that's your life's mission, right? Because everyone yeah. gets to choose what's most important to them in life, you know? And, and for you, Ada, it's writing and speaking you know for me that's a big part of it too and and you talk about the most important things in life being like health family stability fulfillment right um you know so maybe not everybody needs to take it upon themselves to have the same values and priorities in life as the activist does but i would also say that person if this is really the thing that matters the most to you if that's your calling then take it up you know, pursue that path of fulfillment for yourself, but make sure to do your research, right? Because if if you really care about addressing the things that you see as problems in the world, then don't you owe it to yourself and owe it to whoever it is you're trying to make a difference for to really make sure you understand the problem as thoroughly as possible. And something that concerns me is that people who hold these rigid views about uh, their understanding of inequality um, they're very resistant to different perspectives and and other data, right? And so here you're bringing up a good point, like, hey, maybe maybe culture plays a role, right? Maybe culture plays a role in why, you know, in the U.S. in broad strokes, it sounds like uh, in the U.K. as well, Asians are generally doing better than white people when it comes to money and education, right? Like, and and you attribute that in part to um, 
kind of the role of the stay-at-home mother in nurturing the children. Um, you know, we could also look at just the value that a culture places on education and, and you know, personal responsibility and hard work and all of that, which you are saying are definitely not exclusively white white values. In fact, they might even be less valued <laughs> amongst white people than they are in some other ethnic right. groups. Um <laughs> Right. But like, it's like, don't, if you really care about these issues, like, don't you owe it to yourself to be open to new information and, and to, to try to, to learn what are the factors that help people be successful? Yeah, exactly. And um, you said a lot that I want to kind of go through each one. And the problem is that people don't allow others to be, and I will get there in a minute, but the thing about data is very, very, very important. You know, you get the thing of, well, your views are just come from anecdotal whatever. And then you like, okay, let's bring the data and they don't look or value or take in the data. Roland Fryer, right? He did work um, about in relation to policing in in the US and he found that actually police were more likely to use fatal force against white people than black people he did and he didn't do he didn't find that out because he was looking for it he was actually looking for the opposite to prove that actually the data backs up the fact that blacks are unfairly and brutally treated and he found the opposite and what a what an amazing human because he he went for a specific thing he, the data right showed him something different wow i will go with the data forget my own experiences because he told me well i hope to speak to him, him one day but he mentioned that um he has not had the best experiences with police but the data showed something else and so he went with the data it doesn't mean that everything is all rosy for him but he has what what happened to him now he has more of a balanced view he's not going to tell you that the police are great and you know there's nothing that needs to be done there but he's not going to tell you that the police are murderous and are hunting black people and we're lacking that balance like myself let's not let's let's not be here and pretend that i've not gone face racist experiences or racist um um attitudes towards me of course i have but has that been a barrier you know that's where that's the question we need to ask has that really been a barrier for me and even in saying that i feel that some people actually don't look at their own story and don't look at their own lives. I was listening to something just before speaking to you and I was looking at, a, I was watching a panel of black people talk about how, you know, we need more rights for black people in the UK. And it was really bizarre for me because there's literally nothing that black people cannot or are not able to do. We have all the rights that we need that are there. But anyway, um, and as I was listening to them, I was thinking, you know, and they were talking about police brutality and things like that. And I was thinking, I doubt that in your own personal life, you've actually encountered that, you know, and then we bring up, let's say, the violence that's, that runs rampant in some of our communities sometimes. That's more real. That's more real for some of these people. You know, when when George Floyd, you know, was murdered, people took days off work. I mean, on the anniversary of, of this incident, people still, some people still take days off work. Even in the UK, you know, even in the UK, people took time off school in the UK for, from something that happened in the United States just because the person had the same skin color as them. And yet, you know, some of these people have had quite tragic personal events and gone through it and done things that they've need they've you know they needed to do so i feel sometimes i'm not, i'm not dismissing what anyone how anyone takes certain events but i just feel that if it's if this you know idea this ideological um you know poison i would say of just black oppression isn't you know eradicated quickly we're going to have we're going to continue to have false ideas about a lot of things 
going back to a bit of what you said, people can believe what they want to believe. That's not an issue. The only reason I started this work was because people were telling me how I should think and how I should think about myself and how I should think about white people, how I should think about black people. If you want to have your belief and think that, you can do that. This group, the Black Equity Organization that's fighting for black rights, if they want to do that, that's great because disparities still exist. And if they feel those disparities are systemic, do it's needed. But don't tell don't put a lot of black people that do not and it's not that we are Nigerian or the many British born people as well, many American born black people as well, African Americans, they don't share this view and this idea of what black identity is meant to be. Don't say that we or if, if you want to say we're not truly black or whatever, that's fine because many of us don't identify with this, you know, anyway, because we're human beings and we're described in many different ways, but those descriptions are not the essence of who we are, right? So many of us, many people like myself with this um, viewpoint don't mind that you want to take away our black card or you want to exclude us or um, ban us from the black community because our community, those who we, we relate to are those with similar values, similar viewpoints. You can have the same skin color and you can have a stinking attitude. I'm not going to bond or liaise or commune with you because of this superficial thing, immutable characteristics that correct characteristic that we both share. We don't do that with hair color. We don't do that with anything else. And I understand. Let's play the devil's advocate. Well, these other things haven't had the same racial historical you know, tone as skin color. I understand, but we can't have it all. Either we accept that this, you know, idea of race is something that was constructed for actually very specific purposes. You know, it's it's not, I'm not going to go into the science of it because I'm not even going to go there, but race is not a biological or genetic discovery it's a socially constructed thing to divide human beings and that is the nature of humanity we like to classify and divide and you know Carl Linnaeus did it with you know the plants and the species and everything else and even included humans in that but we loved the classification of things so that's how we do things we like to divide and organize and things like that but our commonality our most fundamental label and identity is that as a human being are you a human and i'm a human i can relate with you and everything else on top of that in my opinion anyway is superficial as a therapist i've gotten an up close and personal view at what people tend to struggle with day in and day out turns out it's almost universal that we know we should be taking better care of ourselves in terms of the basic building blocks of well-being like diet and exercise but as valuable as it is for our mental and physical health to change our lifestyle habits, it's also much easier said than done. People often set goals that are too lofty, only to feel even worse about themselves when their aspirations inevitably fail. That's why I recommend starting with positive changes that are as simple as possible. Enter my new favorite beverage line. Organifi makes it so easy to improve your nutrition and start feeling better right now with refreshing plant-based blends of superfoods and adaptogens that you can just mix with water. My personal favorite is their green juice. It contains moringa, ashwagandha, chlorella, spirulina, wheatgrass, beets, turmeric, mint, lemon, and coconut water. 100% organic with no added sugar, and it tastes great. My family loves Organifi Gold, which promotes relaxation and restful sleep, served mixed with warm almond milk before bed. Organifi also makes several other powerful blends, all organic and loaded with vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, phytonutrients, anti-inflammatory herbs, and adaptogens. For less than $3 and 3 grams of sugar per serving, you can start giving your cells the support they need to manage stress and feel good. Check out their product line at Organifi.com. That's spelled O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. And use promo code SOMETHERAPIST to get 20% off your entire order. Your whole body will thank you. So much of what you're saying 
is good news. Uh, you know, if if we were worried about something, and then and then the evidence actually says, you know, whether that evidence be anecdotal or you know robust data, which a lot of it is. Um, actually, this isn't a problem. We were worried about this, you know. So, for example, you talk about um, some of the beliefs that are prevalent around police violence. And there's a, a belief that many people hold that we live in this time where uh, black people are basically being genocided by uh, racist cops in droves. That is a myth, right? So what happens if we look at the data, we find out, oh, that's actually not the case. Uh, in, in altercations uh, between police and suspects, uh, white people are actually killed more often i mean that's not good news either ideally like it's nobody not. dies at the hands mm -hmm. of police nobody mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. like it's not it's not the greatest news but if we find out that you know you thought it was tens of thousands of people dying a year and it's like a dozen then oh hey like great news right you know and so many of these other things like let's say you know the myth that self-responsibility on hard work are uh white values uh, mm. that myth is, you know, obviously I think it's a racist one and it's, it's stupid and overly simplistic, but, you know, even if you take away all that, that myth therefore means we have a problem because that means that what, in places where self-responsibility is a standard, black people aren't welcome or they won't thrive or, you know, in, um, life goals where those would be advantageous traits while black people are at a disadvantage. Well, then it would seem to be good news to find out actually that's not the case, right? It's not the case on the whole that uh, self-responsibility and hard work and determination and punctuality and things that generally make a person successful are uh, racist, right? Like black people can have those too. The, all these things should be good news, right? But but I, I feel that we live in a time of such like hubris and lack of gratitude and reactivity and stubbornness that if you take somebody who, who believes one of these things and you say, actually, guess what? Good news. There's evidence to the contrary. Maybe this thing that you're worried about isn't actually a problem. We should be celebrating problem solved or the problem didn't exist. Uh, I feel like they react in the opposite way. They kind of double down. How dare you say that? It's scary because it, it you know, deconstructs you know, your reality. And that, again, should be good news. You know, I welcome, I, you know, you mentioned, I don't know if it's during our call or before when we we're speaking, that I'm always, you know, I, I wouldn't say I change my mind as such, but I accept and I welcome different ex and perspectives because, wow, that, bro that broadens my world, my reality. However, some people just have through like I said again through even their own personal experiences they've come or they've built up a reality from for themselves for coping mechanisms you know in order to get through life I guess and when you throw in something you know that's just a little bit different that's scary you know and also you have to understand especially in the U.S you know and with some incidents in the UK the wind, wind rush issue and you know there was some a lot of pr police brutality in the 70s and 80s here in the UK as well racism and, and things like that there's been a lot of trauma that's been passed down right again for survival you know purposes because of fear because you know that's how reality is to them so that trauma when again you deal I'm sure you've seen and you've dealt with a lot of people who've had trauma I've had trauma myself not racial but just life right a lot of us pass through trauma especially in our younger um when we were when we are younger and the experiences I had it made me build up a different character that I didn't want right very um very hard, very um, um, over-reserved, very mean um, person, very careless. I was very careless with my health, very careless with, with, you know, even my education, even though I passed all my exams. See, it's the Nigerian in me. <laughs> you can't separate it. 
but I was very careless, you know, in in especially in my teenage years. And I attributed all that carelessness, right? All that wastefulness of talent, um, mental capacity, intelligence, whatever. I blamed all of that on the experiences, on the negative experiences I had when I was in in my um, adolescent years. And I believed that, and it was true. I didn't believe something that wasn't untrue, but I, I, I want, that was part of my identity, right? That was part of my identity. And just to be more specific, there was like abuse, sexual abuse, molestation, things like that. Things that happen so often, unfortunately, especially to young girls, especially to young black girls. And it's not talked about as much, but because of all of that, I, I, like I said, I built up, you know, a person as a certain persona and I believed it and I carried it with me, you know, wherever I went. Right. So when people would come and say, well, actually your behavior is shitty today because sorry if I swore, I don't know if I can swear here. Okay. (laughs) Your behavior is horrible today because actually you are making that choice to be that way and in my head it's like no it's because of what was done to me and all this and that and the other and it only took for me saying actually again going back to the responsibility and fault anything that negatively impacted me was not my fault and that's very important it wasn't my fault however I'm going to be the one that's going to continue to suffer if I don't take responsibility for my own, my own stressing on my own attitude starts from the attitude, you know, attitude of letting go, right? Letting go of your preconceptions. Now I'm talking about race relations, you know, letting go of preconceptions that you have rightly or wrongly, you know, challenging your worldview, for goodness sake, challenging your worldview, you know, so taking ownership of that, taking ownership of my actions. So leaving from my attitude to my actions, you know, I, oh gosh, I'm a great Marvel fan, you know, Marvel, like not the comics, just the movies. And there's one line from that movie I will never forget. And it was basically about a superhero who his name was Bucky and he did a lot of terrible things because he was brainwashed by the Russians whatever and you know his best friend for those who know Marvel they're going to hate that I'm explaining it like this but I'm explaining it for people who don't know Marvel as well and then his best friend said you know you shouldn't be too hard on yourself because you didn't know what you were doing and the guy said I know but I still did it and that's so powerful you may not be, you may have had reasons for doing or behaving or reacting the way you reacted all these years or having your worldview, but you still have to take responsibility that you still did them, thought them, reacted in that way. And then the next step is, well, how do I move on from this? Because you're suffering. People who believe that they're oppressed and who carry this burden, this spirit of oppression wherever they go, especially when their circumstances are not showing that you know they're in great jobs but they still think they're oppressed you know they live in even good neighborhoods but they still carry this idea of oppression just because of this identity of blackness that oppression has seeped into we have to separate ourselves from that yes the history is there history doesn't change yes there are still things that go on today you spoke of injustice it will always exist but it doesn't mean that we essentialize these things and make them the core of who we are and take that wherever we go. I hope you've been enjoying this episode of You Must Be Some Kind of Therapist podcast. If you like what you're hearing, now's a great time to like, subscribe, follow, rate, review, or share. You can also support the podcast by visiting sometherapist.com shop, where you will find goods and services I've personally curated to support your well-being and enrich your life. We're just building the shop, so check back periodically and feel free to suggest recommendations. All right, now back to the show. <laughs> it, it, it is a burden to carry that, that weight of the, the struggle. And I 
heard you kind of describing the process of unburdening yourself from feeling like you had to remain forever attached to certain beliefs or habits or a certain personality um, just because that made sense at one time in your life. There's a, a lightness in that. And I think it's a virtue to evolve. You know, I keep thinking back today to this one nasty comment that someone uh, left as a review on Apple Podcasts. And because uh, there's a couple parts that, that stand out, right? One is the part where um, I am accused of having Black people on my show who don't believe in racism, <laughs> which I thought was funny um, because, uh, well, for one thing, when that comment was left, none of my episodes with Black people had aired yet. I had uh, posted on social media that I have interviewed um, Michael um. D.C. Bowen and Adam B. Coleman on the show. But, you know, obviously this person was jumping to conclusions both about, you know, my guests and what they think and what they believe and definitely oversimplifying my guests' beliefs. Um, so that was one part of the review I thought was funny that was kind of coming up today. Uh, just because you're a black person with a different perspective on race issues, which isn't to say that you think that they don't exist. But another part of that review was kind of like putting me down for the fact that my beliefs have evolved over time. So she, I guess, like cyber stalked me and came up with a bunch of touch points that were like partly accurate and then wove together a wow. narrative that was pretty bizarre. Like she she learned that I voted for Bernie Sanders in 2016 and uh, that I, I don't know, have like certain interests that were probably on my Facebook timeline five years ago or something, you know, <laughs> so like she went to great mm -hmm. lengths to try to learn things about me. And then she wove this story uh, into like how I'm like an anti-vaxxer and uh, just took it all kinds of places, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But part of how she framed the supposed problems with my character was that that my political beliefs have changed. That, uh, you know, and, and she framed it like as if the reason I say the things I say now is just because I was bullied by mean people on the left like that's that's why I left the mean people on the left and started uh, using talking points that I knew would make people on the right like me, as if like <laughs> as if I my as if I I need other people's approval, right? As if I'm I these are I mean it would be actually pretty amazing if I were able to have the conversations I'm having without having engaged in any original thought, like that that would be mm. pretty incredible. Uh, but but it was kind of as if the fact that I was a leftist a few years ago and that I'm now politically homeless, which, you know, they like to call anything that doesn't suit their narrative, they like to call it far right wing ideology, uh, which I'm not espousing. But um, it was as if that's a bad thing, you know, and I'm thinking, I don't know, I think the ability to grow and evolve your opinions says says good things about you. Um, I, I think it's always a good thing when when people show that they have, a, you know, a solid enough sense of self-worth and a balanced and fair enough personality that they can learn and grow and self-correct and be open to, to new opinions. Exactly. But I think with the culture we're living in and, you know, the climate of things, I, I just think that the aim and the end goal is is for that derision and that kind of, you know, shaming and, you know, um, vitriolic, you know, behaviours and attitudes. There's no grace anymore, you know, and it's, it's a great, I think, tactic to keep people quiet, to keep people silent. Like, you can't even utter an opinion in the comfort of your own home there was a recent case um of a train driver in in the uk and uh, he lost his job he got he was fired a few years ago because there was a training of you know diversity and inclusion in his workplace and after the training um he still had his camera his mic on and he just mentioned they were talking about white privilege and he just mentioned, well, what about black privilege kind of thing? And he got fired for that. And it, it was so he won. He won the case and he was it was reported that he was, you know, it was not right. He was unfairly dismissed. But I was just kind of laughing to myself in an ironic way of 
you know, look, no ideology, no idea, no um, viewpoint, no concept is beyond commentary. Like, how, how are we getting to this point that you can't even, what about this or what about that without you losing your job? It's not even, and he had a high position. He's been promoted a few times before all this. He was respected. But because the company wanted to save face and wanted to show something, you know, that they're probably not on, on you know, in, in on the root of things, you know, they fired one of their best employees, you know, and that's where we are. You can't have a little bit of a different it's not even having a different opinion just asking you hold your opinions you still support who you support politically but just asking an opinion um a a question gets you all the abuse and you know and things like that that's why i always say to people don't apologize you know yours was different because it was actually something that was you know misinformation whatever and that was your choice and you did it but people apologize for things that they that they are right in asking or saying they apologize for that they retract what they say and that's not good that's the thing that's not good we must be you know we're we're advancing in so many things, right? In AI, in technology, in all these things. And these basic things of actually knowing how to speak to one another, debate respectfully. It's like we're really going backwards in that. And how is that possible? So the future isn't looking good (laughs) in that sense. I know that's pessimistic, but it's also realistic, you know, unfortunately. Ada, it's been such a pleasure having you today. Thank you for sharing your beautiful mind with me and our listeners today. Thank you. And thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for challenging also the narrative and, you know, certain ideas and and viewpoints in what you're doing. And thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to share this space and this time with you. This is what I love doing the most. So I appreciate it. Tell our listeners where they can find you. My main home is differentvoice.uk. So that's where you find all about me. Um, I'm not always the best in articulating exactly of, of, you know, everything that I do and what I'm about, what I stand for. So there you will see my values, my goals, my mission. Um, You read my articles, you read articles from some of my friends. Um, And yes, there's some resources as well. Uh, My latest uh, mini guide is is in relation to false claims of racism and the dangers of, of them. Um, so I would invite people to check that out because I'm seeing definitely an, an increase of this. You know, we're, you know, we have all these buzzwords of uh, are we in a post-racial society and all these things. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, racism will always exist, you know, but we cannot engage in a new kind of racism in in in, in hopes to try and combat any other kinds that we may be fighting. So I am seeing a lot of this attitude and, you know, you know, you know, negative attitudes really um, against white people, you know, um, even though it's being called against fighting against whiteness and white supremacy and all these things. And no, we're not talking about white people or we're not discriminating against white people. And there's so many cases of of this affecting regular, generally well-meaning white people. And I'm definitely not of the opinion that all white people are racist or bad or or evil or wicked because such essentialist ideas that we saw in the past um, against other groups, such as this group are criminals or these group, this, these group are barbaric and whatever. It's, it's the same game we're playing and we're calling it something different. So yeah, that's my latest work and article. And yeah, that's my main home. And then from there, you find other places that I live digitally. So Okay. And that also includes YouTube. Um, You're on YouTube at Different Voice Initiative and uh, Challenging Narratives podcast. But the main thing you're doing right Mm -hmm. now is focusing on writing. So uh, I will look forward to updating my listeners when we have more information about that. Oh, lovely. Thank you. You're welcome. And can they follow you on Twitter? Yes, I'm on Twitter at uh, um, underscore Akpala, I think. And then Instagram is it's at Akpala. Instagram's really good so it's um i ask a lot of questions do a lot of polls so a lot of people share their experiences very detailed 
which I'm grateful for, very personal, obviously all anonymous. So it is my Instagram page is a good place for learning and discussing, you know, with respect, so many different kinds of viewpoints all across the political and, and ideological spectrum. So you can find me there as well. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of You Must Be Some Kind of Therapist podcast with Stephanie Wynn, LMFT. This podcast is produced by Eric and Amber Beals at Different Mix. Special thanks to the talented musician Joey Pecorero for our theme song, Half Awake. At SomeTherapist.com, you can find more information on any topic, guest, resource, product, or service you've heard of here today. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram at SomeTherapist. If you would like to ask a question, suggest a topic, be a guest, or invite me to speak, you can email us at hello at sometherapist.com. You can also send us a voice memo with your question, and we just might play it. Of course, just because I'm some therapist doesn't mean I'm your therapist. This podcast is not a substitute for medical advice. If you need help, ask your doctor or browse your local therapists online. And whatever you do next, please take care of yourself. Eat well, sleep well, move your body, get outside, and tell someone you love them. You're worth it.